1: Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. This is a podcast for women. I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Ashley Glassick, and we're on the Bible-thumping wingnut network. Ashley, I know that our listeners cannot see me right now, but I wore my Chicago Cubs World Series shirt for you. Oh,
2: Colleen, I don't even know if I wanna talk about the World Series right now. Well, let me just say,
1: um, I'm a Cubs fan because my husband and my uh, kids are. But in yeah. California, I am a Dodgers fan too. Um, okay. Even mm-hmm. though I grew up going more to Angels games, the Dodgers yeah, are me too. More my favorite team. So I'm I'm sharing with you. I know this is, I know it's been a yeah. difficult time for you, but but you um, know,
2: they made it just for the World Series. That they made it for the World Series. Um, I'm a Dodgers. I uh grew up. Going to Angels games, too, because we lived close. Um, But I married into a Dodgers family, and I didn't have a strong, you know, I didn't love the Angels. I just kind of, you know. So I became a Dodgers fan, and, you know, I'm not even worried. I'm not even worried. We're only down by one game. Um, I still think we're the better team. So we'll Well, just see how the rest of the series plays out. Actually, by the time – By the time this episode airs, I think two more games will have been played. So I might have to eat words, but (laughs) I'm I'm hoping I don't have to.
1: Yeah, well, just a little fun fact. When I went to Corona Junior High, it was called at the time. I forget what it's called now. Corona Fundamental. Okay, Corona, Corona Fundamentals. So I went to Corona Junior High, and I was in the band with my flute, and I got to, with some other bands, play the national anthem at Dodger Stadium. So wow. that's just our fun fact for really the cool. day, when I was like 12 in <laughs> seventh grade.
2: Were you safe? Uh, Dodger Stadium kind of has a reputation, not the safest part yeah, of the Yeah, well,
1: I think there were, you, I mean, there was a lot of different bands, so oh, okay. didn't really notice, you know, you know, fifty school buses of junior hires and high schools, high schoolers, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't, not sure. I really remember or even paid attention, but uh-huh. yeah, and and I too adopted my husband's team because mm-hmm. it's just more fun to do that, which is why I love the Cubs.
2: Yeah, my my uh, brother. Lives in Houston, and he actually was at the game last night, texting me, um, wow. just give, giving me a hard time. But my dad was also at the game, visiting him, um, and my dad was wearing a Dodgers hat to the game in Houston. Oh, okay, so I was I was thankful for that at least. But your I brother? Feel, no, yeah. my brother, my brother's rooting for Houston. Well, I, I
1: wanted to mention to our listeners, this is our first episode since I returned from California, and I don't know how my sound is because I'll, I'll find out later when I listen, but I left my microphone cord at my brother-in-law's house. So hopefully, you'll be able to send it back to me, and next week, I will have better sound than I do today. Well, before we get to our topic, there was an interesting post in our group. And I actually asked the gal who wrote it, do you mind if I, you know, read your post? You know, I said, I won't say your name, but I think I thought it would just briefly talk about it. Cause it fits right in with kind of our complementarianism, biblical manhood, womanhood series. And she says, Hey ladies, I was reading some bits of a book released in 2014 from a semi well-known female Christian author where she talks about submission and dying to yourself in marriage. She basically implied that wives die to themselves by always wearing whatever their husbands want them to wear. And if your husband doesn't like your hairstyle, you have to get the hairstyle he prefers for the sake of your marriage. She argues that because in marriage a couple is one flesh, the wife has to die to her flesh to follow what her husband wants her, in her dress, etc. She thinks these are examples of submission.
2: Thoughts. Hmm. I mean do you have any initial thoughts on that? Um, I've never well I don't want to say I've never heard that before but in all the books I've read about submission and you know scripture I've read about submission I've never seen anything about the length of your hair or the clothes you're wearing. Um, I mean I think we've already talked about this a little bit like if your husband has a preference, then why not, you know, cater to his preference. But it doesn't seem like that's what the post was saying that like, Hey, if your husband likes your hair short, maybe you should wear your hair short. It's like, if your husband wants your hair short, you need to obey him by cutting your hair short. And that's, that's really scary language. That's not, that's not language the Bible uses when it talks about headship and submission. Uh, right. So, well, and there was kind of a little discussion
1: within it where one lady said, Well, let me tell you when my husband doesn't pick out my clothes because he would pick out stuff that would not be flattering to my body type. That would, <laughs> you know, the stuff he would pick out would not be good. But she said, Ultimately, my husband wants me to feel good and be happy. And therefore, he wants me to pick out what I wear. Mm-hmm. And I use the example with long hair. My husband liked my hair very long, longer than it is now. And it came to a point where I just said, I said, I think I'm going to get my hair a few inches shorter than usual because it's really difficult to keep it this long. He goes, oh, well, it's easier for you. That's what I want you to do. And I think what I felt was missing from this is the husband who loves his wife like Christ loved the church. It felt a little bit like um, we, we know a couple where the husband literally goes out and does the shopping for the wife's wardrobe. And... um. I'm not really sure that's what submission is about. And I think I would point people to this, the episodes we already did where we kind of did talk about what submission looks like. Should we consider consider what our husband's like? Yes. A girl at church asked me one day, she goes, why do you always wear so much blue? And I said, oh, it's my favorite, my husband's favorite color on me. She's like, "You you wear it because your husband likes it? Wow. And I'm like, not because he makes me, but because I know he likes that color on me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, I think it's good. Like you said, Ashley, if your husband prefers something, it's good, you know, to do that for your husband. But I felt like this was missing something. What, what came out of that post though, and this is my concern is women who suddenly started just a couple, you know, sharing stories of very controlling husbands who Mm -hmm. actually do say, wear this, wear your hair like this, do this, and actually have no consideration for their wives wishes at all. And I'm not sure that is the biblical model of marriage because there's two sides to this. There is husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. So I
2: I have a friend, I have a friend who um, she's a stay at home mom. And when, before her husband comes home, she kind of, you know, like fixes her makeup a little bit and fixes her hair. And maybe puts on like a nicer shirt. Because I know with, when you're with babies all day, like you're probably not, you know, dressed perfectly all day long. And just to like greet her husband when he comes home. And I think that's really sweet. Like when she told me that, I was like, oh, wow. Like, and it's not like her husband told her to do that. She's just thinking like, I know my husband would would prefer if, you know, like I I make an effort to... To look good for him and to, you know, do certain things, and that's not even saying everyone needs to do that. Um, it's just something she thought her husband would appreciate. And I think that sounds a lot closer to like a wife who loves her husband um, and cares about what he desires, and then, um, you know, like the domineering husband who rules over his wife.
1: Right. So it, it is, a, it's good to wear things that your husband likes, you know, you go, I, I'm sure a lot of us women before we're married, after we're married, you're going to go out on a special date with your husband, you're going to put on his favorite dress, you know, because you want to look nice for him. And that, it that is a good thing. Um, but I am not sure that that is the focus of submission. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what the example you gave, I did, I did that when my kids were young too, but not because my husband ever asked ever said you must do this you know he he knows I've had long days and I'm tired and and whatnot I actually read this one book and um I I couldn't tell you what it was but it says something like let your smiling face be the last thing your husband sees before he leaves for work and the first thing he sees when he gets home and I tried to do that there are many days (laughs) I failed (laughs) to, you know get kids vomiting all day You know, the other kids are fighting in the other room and stuff, but I think I, I mean, I'm very grateful for a good husband who loves me and considers me and, and, you know, considers what I think too, that that's important to him too. So, well, I guess we'll go to a commercial and we've got kind of a, maybe a little controversial topic today and, (laughs) and then we will, we'll be right back. This
0: podcast is a member of the Bible-thumping wingnut network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi,
1: welcome to Theology Gals.
2: Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to School of
0: Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine his lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to Conversations from the Port. And welcome to living in the vine. This is the council of Google Plus. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Bible Thumping Wingnut podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. 12 podcasts, 1 network. Check them out at biblethumpingwingnut.com.
1: So, Ashley, before we get started, we we do we want to talk about Harry Potter today. Not just about Harry Potter, but I think there is a lot to talk about and I think Ashley and I realized that when we asked about it in our group. Mm-hmm. Um But before we even talk about it, Ashley and I kind of wanted to just share our backgrounds, just personally, our backgrounds with Harry Potter. And why don't you start, Ashley?
2: Sure. So I'm I'm a millennial in my late 20s. And I think if you ask almost any millennial from age like 25 to 35 what their experience was with Harry Potter is that they grew up with it. And... Um, I know I know some kids they weren't allowed to read it, but um, my parents were okay with me reading it. I um, I got the first book when I was eight years old. Um, I think it had come out a couple of years before. Um, my mom got it for me for Christmas. Um, it was one of it was probably the first book I read that I enjoyed reading that kind of sparked my love for reading. Um, and then every year, you know, whenever a new book would came out, my parents would, you know, go out and get it. And when the last book came out, I was 18. Um, and I stood in line at Barnes & Noble at midnight, you know, with like a ticket to get my copy um, at midnight the day um, it was supposed to come out. Uh, so that was like a really big deal. And I went with some friends who had also grown up reading it. Um, you know, there was something just really fun about my generation. You know, we, we had to wait 10 years, you know, to find out the whole story. And so it was just really fun. Um, and then when the movies came out, I went to see all the movies and I was telling Colleen that I actually saw the last movie in Paris when I was traveling and I wore my Gryffindor scarf to the theater and I was the only one dressed up. All the French people were kind of looking at me, kind of funny, um, so yeah that was my experience um, uh, I became a Christian later in life I was 20 when I became a Christian and um, I've read them since I became a Christian and felt felt comfortable reading them don't don't didn't really have an issue and I was thinking about that this week because someone was saying well if you've grown up reading them then you're just... You're not going to listen to what anybody has to say because you've just always read them. And I think that's an unfair criticism because there are a lot of things that since I've become a Christian, I've decided I'm not going to watch that anymore and I'm not going to read that anymore. Like I have made that decision about several books on my bookshelf where I was like, I don't even want to give this to Goodwill because I don't think (laughs) I don't think anyone should be reading this book. Um, I used to really like a book called uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Are you familiar with that, Colleen? I've heard
1: of it, but I have not read it.
2: It's I I mean, maybe Christians can read it in good conscience, but I'm not really comfortable with it. Um, I was, of course, comfortable with it before I was a Christian. Um, also, if any of our listeners have ever read anything by Augustine Burroughs, he writes memoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, not comfortable with reading anything by him. Um, because of the content. And, you know, there's just various movies and and shows that I've gone back and watched, and my conscience was immediately pricked, like, I need to turn this off. This is not okay. Um, And I did not have that experience with Harry Potter. I'm still comfortable reading it and do not have an issue with it. So I know, Colleen, your experience is a little bit different, which I think our listeners will actually appreciate. We're coming from two different Places um, yeah. here,
1: I, and I think I think that's a really good thing that we have, you know, such different places. So they came. I'm not sure. Do you know what year the first one came out? I'm not even sure, but I want to say it was after I got married. And so in, I got married in 1995, and I really didn't pay attention. I'd heard some of the hype from Christians. You know, it's evil. Christians shouldn't read it and whatnot. And you know, I thought, okay, yeah, I can agree with that. You know, if if people are saying it's it's evil and endorses the occult, must be true. And then in in two thousand, and I re- remember very specifically that it was the year two thousand. I began getting. Um, in fact, I'm gonna actually check exact date. All of a sudden, I started getting. Okay, so before the internet was quite as we know it now, people would email a lot more. I mean, people who you know, a little older like me. So they would forward emails all the time, you know, email was a lot bigger. We didn't have social media and stuff. So I kept getting this email forward to me from Christians. And it was about how the Harry Potter books spark rise in Satanism among children. Now, this article, it was just the article, it was not cited. Okay. And I, I really, at that point in 2000, I had three littles, you know, they were Uh, they were newborn. They were two and they were four. So I was, you know, I wasn't really paying much attention. And my sister-in-law had her kids a little bit older and she had, somebody had forwarded it to her too. And so she called me and said, what do you think about this? And I said, I don't know. And I was at our, we were part of an attempted URC church plant at the time going through the Heidelberg Catechism. And our friend who was teaching it, who graduated from Westminster in California after our study one night, he said to me, have you gotten that Harry Potter email? And he described it. I said, Oh my goodness, I've gotten it from so many people. And he smiled and said, it's from the onion. (laughs) And so I was, I was like, you are kidding me. Okay. So I think for those of you who don't know, the onion is a satirical paper out of um, the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And at that point, not as many people knew what The Onion was, okay? And in fact, one person, we told them, that's from The Onion, it's satire. And they actually said, I still believe it's true. Okay, (laughs) now I found out a few years ago, okay. I'll just fast forward a little bit. A few years ago, somebody actually quoted the article to me as fact in a reformed group. And I said, "Um, yeah, that's from The Onion, (laughs) you know? And I so I looked at the article when I was looking it up. it actually came and I ended up finding out that that article was on a list of six times the onion fooled everyone that it was passed around as fact so much among Christians that the author of Harry Potter actually had to come out and respond and say this is from a satirical paper this is not true I have no interest in endorsing the occult or Satanism but I actually in all my research am very convinced that that article really did make a difference on a lot of Christians and it was passed around so much that multiple people sent it to me and I've talked to lots of people my age and they said oh yeah so many people sent me that article but as fact okay so I wanted to say that as my kids began to get older um I would talk to my friends and stuff and I was I had a a friend Kim she's since gone to be with the Lord and I went to her house one day and her daughter was reading Harry Potter and again my kids weren't quite at that age and in my mind it's just you know Christians don't read Harry Potter well Kim is there's few people in this world that I respect like her she taught me more about being a wife and a mom and homeschooling and Studying scripture and stuff. And so that was like the first time I thought maybe I need to actually look at this a little bit more and At that point I was talking to a really good friend of mine and you know her kids were asking to read it and she said to me I can't answer my kids why they can't and so I think I in order to make a fair Assessment I need to read them myself. She goes, I'm just gonna plan to read the first one. We'll see what happens she reads the first one very quickly and, and all the rest of them that were out at that point. I think at that point, I don't know, five were out or something. And she comes back to me, she said, Colleen, they aren't what I thought. And mm-hmm. I'm okay with my son reading them. Her, she had a son that was probably about five years older than my oldest. And then some of my other friends started reading them. Every single one said the same thing. They are not what I thought. So when it came to my kids, deciding to read them i talked to my friends i read a lot of different stuff and i i had asked my pastor's wife and she said oh yeah i've read them i love them she told me this person over here has read them the the wife of another elder in our church and our son was really wanting to read them and so i i will never forget we sat on our pastor's back porch around the fire pit and and talked for a few hours about it that night. And then we actually talked to that other elder's wife too. And so I, I really had to kind of change my way of thinking and I'll explain some of those details of why as we get into the topic, but that's just my basic story. And my children, my children all read them. I think a couple of my children, it, it is what caused them to love reading. My nephew read them, I wanna say probably a year ago and it's for the first time he was loving reading you know he couldn't put them down and so i think and i've read from several people i'm going to talk about an author from covenant um covenant theological Seminary. he's actually written on it talk about him later but he actually says the same thing many kids learn to love reading from this these books so all right we're Ashlyn, I want to just briefly talk about some other things before we actually get to talking about Harry Potter, because I think I think this is very, very, very important. And actually, before, the first thing we want to talk about was kind of entertainment in the two kingdoms. And that I asked in the Bible Thumping Wingnut Facebook group, and there was a great discussion there, actually, about Harry Potter and someone said, You know, someone was talking about, you'll appreciate this, Ashley, used Psalm 101.3 as why not to, which says, you know, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And somebody responded, Fred Butler responded with Psalm 101.3 is irresponsible applied here. In my case, baseball would fall under that category of setting anything before my eyes that is worthless. So I thought that was kind of funny. I think uh, at this point, if you've not listened to our episodes on Christ and Culture, with Ryan Haskins and our episode on Two Kingdoms with David Van Drunen, listen to those. Because we actually don't believe, only read Christian books, only watch Christian movies, only listen to Christian music. At, at least I hold to Two Kingdoms and I believe that we, we can enjoy things in the kingdom of this world. And, and we talked in detail on our episodes in, in view of what we believe about God, of course but mm-hmm. i think we have to be very careful mm-hmm. what, what do you think ashley as far as kind of
2: yeah I saw, entertainment? I saw well i saw comments somewhere where someone said well i thought i shouldn't read them because really scripture is more edifying than than reading that and it's like well yeah yeah of course um you know and i like fred butler's example of baseball um I'm not really when I watch the World Series, um, I'm not really, you know watching it in view of like, like I suppose that I am watching it in view of scripture, but but really I'm just enjoying a baseball game. Um, and that's that's okay. Uh, we we don't not everything I do all day, every day um, is constantly. I'm having a hard time coming up with the words, but not everything I do um, is just constantly entrenched in in Scripture and God's Word. Like there are things on this earth that um, we can just enjoy, you know, and and we can enjoy them. I think in light of okay, God's grace and things like that. Um, but just because they're not, there's not a prayer before the World Series game or something. Um, doesn't mean I can't watch the World Series, you know, because it's just baseball. So right. Maybe you can say it better than me, Colleen. Uh,
1: I, I don't know if I can, but, you know, in the Two Kingdoms episode, and we talked actually, I think, even in more detail with Ryan Haskins, that that we can enjoy the things of the kingdom of the left, which is the secular world. So we can that because God has created this world and there's so many things and and I think the biggest thing I would say is if you are somebody who says well we should do everything you know almost a separatist mentality like and if you want to know what a what a true separatist mentality looks like look at the Amish. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to look like if you take it to its extreme. Yeah. And You have to be very careful when you start saying that we should only do things which are Christian because I can't imagine that there that there's anybody among our listeners who doesn't read a book or or how about a newspaper that's not Christian or how about a website that's not Christian or a song which isn't Christian. Uh, I talked to Andrew Rappaport about this and I'll tell you some of what he said later but you know, he was, he was talking about, you know, the people that say, you can only listen to Christian music. You can only read, read Christian books. And he's, and, you know, and I said, well, I, you know, I majored in music. I love music. I listen to classical music. That's not Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and so we can enjoy, God has given us many things to enjoy that every single thing we we do needs to be Christian. And I, I'm not exactly sure what proponents of the one kingdom view would say about this because I know that many of them enjoy the arts. I think in their case, I know. Actually, I do know one thing. There's somebody who's written a book, a a Harry Potter Bible study, which even I am not okay with. Let me be kind of weird. (laughs) And, And they were talking about how this person I'm only assuming that the person who wrote it is a one kingdom person because they talk a lot about redeeming the culture. And so that I'm not sure all One Kingdom people would think that that was okay either. Mm-hmm. But um, Fred Butler again said, and I said, "Can I quote you?" I thought it was so funny. He says, "I I like Harry Potter. I don't like Harry Potter Bible studies." <laughs> so <laughs> I will agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> but well, that reminds ahead.
2: me when that reminds me when pastors make like like something in the world happens, and so they make their sermon. Like, you know, like a world, I'm just using the World Series because that's going on right now. Like somehow their sermon has this connection to like baseball and they're really straining to make that connection. And you're just like, stop, just don't, you know, like how your don't... life is like the
1: World Series. Yes.
2: <laughs> you are in your World Series game, Ashley. Uh, and how the Dodgers are going to conquer just like, okay, I'm not even going to keep going. <laughs> yes, don't, even, don't even Continue. <laughs> but I've heard pastors doing that where they try to stretch and you're like, just leave it alone. It's just right. baseball or it's just Harry Potter. Like just don't even try. Right. You know? And so. and there are,
1: there are mm-hmm. biblical themes in Harry Potter. I mean, nobody can deny that. Okay. Maybe mm-hmm. I mean, it's there. It's in, it's in um, Narnia, which was intended. It's, it's in Lord of the Rings. It's, you can actually watch a lot of even horrible movies and it, you can even find biblical themes you know good and evil good conquering evil a savior coming forth you know you see these themes but i don't i don't think that we have to make this christian i don't think we have to i think we can say this is a wonderful piece of literature that i can enjoy and that i can praise god for for art and for literature and for for entertainment and actually i have a you know me and my quotes but this is actually from Burke Parsons. And it's an article on Ligonier, but I love the way he said, says this. He says, entertainment of all sorts can be a wonderful way to rest and we recuperate from the busyness, noise, and struggles of life. Entertainment allows our imaginations to travel the world and explore the universe, to go on adventures with hobbits, and knights, and shining armor to go back in time and experience history and to better understand people in our culture. But we must always guard our eyes and our hearts for we cannot even begin to understand all the ways that Hollywood has affected us. Us. Entertainment affects our minds, our homes, our culture, and our churches. Consequently, we must be vigilant as we use discernment in how we enjoy entertainment, looking to the light of God's word to guide us and inform our consciences. So I I thought that was just very, very, well said, and kind of what we're saying here, we do consider God's word. we are called to discernment
2: mm-hmm. um, I think what i don't what I don't want people to hear us saying is um you can just go out and enjoy any form of entertainment you want that's That's definitely not what we're saying um we're saying there are certain kinds of entertainment that we think. Um, Christians can enjoy in good conscience. And there are definitely forms of entertainment Christians cannot enjoy in good conscience. Um, in fact, <laughs> it's probably like the majority uh, of entertainment out there um, is just laced with, you know, nudity and you know, sexual content and uh, language, just all sorts of things. Um, so we're definitely not saying it's like a free-for-all. Um, just in case someone thinks that's what we're saying, um, we're just saying uh, use you can use wisdom and discernment, and if if something is okay, then you can enjoy it, you know. So,
1: Amen, Ashley. That was actually very, very, very well said. And actually, read an article that I want to link in this episode by Jeremy Barnes who wrote Echoes of Eden which I highly recommend. Thank you Jana for recommending it to me and he actually talks about Harry Potter and other literature in there. He's a fan of of Jane Austen as am I too. And so he talks about he actually talks about Jane Austen in there too. He talks about Harry Potter. Please go buy that book. But I'm going to I'm going to actually link an article and it's about television and your children because one thing that that's one thing one thing I want you to come away from this you don't your children do not have to read Harry Potter so let me say that first but I want your children to love reading and I want you to encourage your children to love reading it is a better option than TV 99% Mm. of the time good literature we my kids don't even care for TV you know I Mm. you know we always kept our TV in the basement so it wasn't in the main living area of our house because because it's a temptation for me So we have to be purposeful if we want to watch something they just, you know, when they watch, you know, kids shows, special kids show, you know, now and then when they were young and stuff. So I'm not saying all TV is bad, but I want your kids more to read and to love reading. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And Ashley, as a teacher, I mean, I just real quick, are you seeing a decline in young people loving reading? Because that's one thing that I've been concerned about
2: yeah it's it's unbelievable and I don't teach English so I don't see it as much as my husband does who is an English teacher Um, but they don't read for fun like they the only exposure a lot of these I'm not going to say all because there's certainly those kids whose parents have done a good job you know uh, creating a love of reading in them Um, but A lot of the kids, their only exposure to reading is my teacher is making me read this and I don't want to. They've never found a book that they've enjoyed. Like, just wow, I really enjoy reading this. Like, for me, the first Harry Potter was one of the first books I read that I enjoyed. The second one was a book called The Giver by Lois Lowry that was required reading um, in seventh grade. And I read it, and I just read it so quickly, and I loved it. And that's, that was, I was about sixth or seventh grade when I really started to love um, reading. And I think that was largely because of my parents. Um, my mom, when we were very little, would take us to the, li- the local public library, um, and we would have to pick out three books that we wanted. And what, what I loved is that my mom never told us what kind of books I mean, certainly if we found something questionable, she would have been like, no, but we could pick out any three books we wanted. And so when I was like in third or fourth grade, I would read like biographies of like Ken Griffey Jr. or Shaquille O'Neal, or I was really into sports. And so my mom just let me read whatever I wanted. And I think that's what you have to do with your kids. Your kids may have zero interest in Harry Potter. That's fine, but they need to find something they do like because they're never going to learn to love reading if they don't read something they enjoy.
1: Right. And I I think it helped me to see my mom reading all the time. My dad's not as much a reader, but my mom reads so, so, so much. And she learned from her dad who reads so, so much. Well, I I think we kind of tie literature in, but Ashley, this is something I would like to ask you because I think that it's one of the, the criticisms. I mean, should we really be having our children or even ourselves be reading um, fiction and even more so fantasy?
2: Hmm. So I think the question, so I think what's underneath that question um, is (laughs) because I've heard people say this, that fiction, isn't that kind of like lying because it's not real? And fantasy that's like even more dangerous because you're creating like new worlds and stuff and I don't know if I can really answer that I just I think it's because I just grew up in a world where reading was valued and I just don't even understand the question I I don't understand I guess I really try to understand people's perspectives on things. You know, like, oh, okay, I can see how someone would might ask that question, but um, I don't, I don't know with that
1: question. <laughs> well, let me let me offer something, Ashley, and maybe okay. this will help you to kind of springboard. Okay, so as a mom, I, the thing that I was always amazed about is the things my kids would come up with that I never taught them, and I'm sure. I, I mean, I don't. I don't doubt that part of it is that from the time my kids were newborns, I read to them. I read to them all the time. And so they were getting, you know, stories and fiction and and dragons and and princesses being rescued. And I actually, when Jonathan was about four and a half, I think that's my oldest, I started making up this story that involved everyone in our family, but we were all in a castle and each person had different were different things so you know someone was a princess and and then you had different characters within the castle and I would I would continue the story every night just from the top of my head and the grandpa and papa they had to fight the dragons who were trying to get into our castle and you know things like that but one thing that amazes me is my kid watching my kids play okay Mm -hmm. and they do this on their own I never told them go and pretend that you are a prince who is trying to save the castle you know from the bad guy or whatever that they decided to play they they play fantasy that's what kids do they little girls dress up Mm -hmm. little boys have their toy guns i i I thought I was gonna let my kids play with toy guns, which I changed my mind. And you know, Jonathan's two, I get him some Legos. The first thing he makes is a gun. I uh, to this day, no <laughs> idea what he knew. He He's two. And he's going pew, pew 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 You know, shooting it around. I'm like, What? Yeah. Um and and this is kids love this. They, they love this. But I think an important thing to understand is that we actually through this teach our children the difference between reality and fantasy and not once have has any of my children had a difficult time distinguishing between what is real and what is not. And and I think that they can actually be opportunities to discuss these things, even in the books they're reading. You can discuss the things that, that are being talked about in the books they're reading. I love when my children, even now at 14, 17, 19, 21, are reading a book. My 21-year-old will come in, I was reading this book, and he has this long discussion with me about it. But you can do that when your child is three, and he's four, and continue to do that, and to talk about these things, to talk about distinguishing between fiction and reality what things are real and what things are not did my children ever think that there was a castle out there with dragons who were trying to get in and and grandpas with swords who were protecting the castle I don't think any of them ever thought that actually existed I think they understood that this is fantasy anyways that's what I would have to say about it
2: yeah I think that Actually, like, not only is it good for them as kids to kind of imagine and use their natural ability to create and be creative, but you're kind of preparing them to be able to live in the real world where not everything, they're going to have to discern what's real and what's not real and what's story and fantasy and what's real life. Um, and that's a good skill it's a good skill to learn because I'm thinking we're exposed to so much in the media and on TV um, movies we see Um, so I hadn't thought of that that's a really that's a really great answer Colleen
1: you know what else and I would I would also just add to this is so many books so many of the books that my children read I can't even think of one that isn't described this way when we're talking about these sorts of books Narnia Lord of the Rings Harry Potter. There's a clear distinction between good and evil, and the reader is actually cheering for the good to win. You know what? That is good. They, when my children want the good side to win, when they see that there's a clear distinction between good and evil, don't you think that's very, very clear in Harry Potter, Ashley?
2: The the whole. I mean, we can start to get into what I think about Harry Potter, but. The whole story is a good versus evil story. And spoiler alert, good triumphs over evil in the last book. Um, And I I think that's why I love, like a lot of the entertainment I choose to consume today as an adult is things where there's a good and there's an evil and the good is clearly winning over the evil because that reflects just biblical truth like i'm just going to give another example before we really get into harry potter i love and i know you do too true crime i love watching documentaries um i even like you know not true crime watching like criminal minds and law and order and things like that um because in those shows it's so obvious and in the real stories, it's so obvious that the evil is evil, and they're trying to bring that evil to justice. Um, and so some people have said to me, oh, I can't believe you can watch that stuff. And it's because of that. It's because they're not celebrating evil. If they were, I think I would, my conscience would be bothered by a celebration of evil, but in those shows and in those documentaries, it's very obvious what's evil and and what's good and that evil should be brought to justice. And in Harry Potter, I mean, it's so obvious. I mean, um, the characters are very, this is good and this is evil. And it's the theme throughout the whole book. Another theme that's in the books, that's kind of in the backdrop of the books, which I read from the, I was reading that article from that that seminary professor, or no, he's not a seminary professor. He's just a professor at Covenant College, correct? A Covenant
1: Theological Seminar. so oh, okay. A Seminary. Okay, so professor.
2: so it is a seminary professor. Okay, so one of the things he said that I I hadn't really considered it before, but I really enjoyed is in the Harry Potter series, there's this theme of sacrifice for the good of your loved ones and sacrifice to overcome evil. And I I know that this seminary professor pointed out that I, you know, I don't really think J.K. Rowling is a Christian. Of course, I can't really know that, but I don't think she is. But she obviously had an upbringing or a lot of experience with Christianity at some point because so much of what she uses is borrowed From scripture in like the themes of sacrifice. I mean and that's very clear in the books that when Harry's uh Harry's mom and dad give their lives so that their son can live, that that's obviously a borrowed theme, (laughs) you know, but it's it's obviously borrowed from Jesus giving his lives so that we could live. Now I don't think anyone reading that is getting a gospel, you know, picture. I don't I don't really think that's what the books are doing. I don't think that was her point in writing, but those themes are definitely evident in in the book. What do you think, Colleen?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree, and I was actually thinking when you were talking specifically about about the mom You know, and and like I said before, what we don't want to do is do what we talked about earlier with that guy that did the Harry Potter Bible study. Guess what? You don't need Harry Potter, okay? And that's definitely not we're saying not what we're saying. We're also not saying you're a bad mom if you don't let your children. We actually want you to exercise discernment in what you think is best for your family. And And actually, let me let me just actually mention that real quick, too, because I think it's just it's really important. When I was at the conference this this last week and uh, a guy, I've known him for goodness, probably over 20 years. And he was introducing someone and he went up there and he was trying to be funny. He was introducing Luther. okay. so he's like so he wanted us to really feel like this was Luther talking to us. And he's like, well, I thought about saying you know, that, you know, gave different options for how we could actually have Luther in front of us. And he said, I was going to say magic, but some of you are sensitive about magic, I understand. And he said...
0: Some of you don't let your kids read Harry Potter, and that's fine, that is your right.
1: And and I want to say that. It's okay, it's okay. I want I respect what, whatever decisions you make. There are probably TV shows and movies I didn't let my children watch that you may let your children watch. I know my friends and I were constantly talking about how yeah, I, our family's not comfortable with that movie or that TV show. And, but maybe I was, but maybe they will let their kids watch something that I wasn't comfortable with. And I think that's okay. So I just, Mm -hmm. I just want to make that, that very clear.
2: Uh, I've been teased in my family for being like the stickler where I'm like, I'm not watching this, you know, where a movie gets put on and I'm like, I'm not watching this because so I'm definitely not the person that is okay with watching anything. Like if you ask my family, they will tell you that um, I've been teased at points for being that person, you know? So I just, I just wanted to say that.
1: Yeah, actually I'm that person in my family too. And and sometimes it actually even caused issues in my family um, since I have children in that they'd say, well, so-and-so, so maybe, the mom of my kids' cousins lets their kids watch such and such. And it's like, well, and she can do that. But for us, (laughs) we're not going to, you know. And Mm -hmm. I I was pretty, I was was pretty struggling. My my kids, I mean, there's things I would let my kids watch now, but they just, you know, never watched a lot of TV. So this is where I want especially to hear from you, Ashley. And let's just first talk about Harry Potter. And then I want to actually answer some of the objections. So just, can you just talk about Harry Potter in general? I mean, maybe even within there, talking about some of the objections you've heard people think, maybe unfair objections.
2: Okay, the strongest one, I think, um, from Christians anyway, is that uh, the books seem to celebrate uh, witchcraft and wizardry, which the Bible condemns. So that's that's the biggest one. And I think I think that's a valid objection. Um, do you think you could respond to that one? Yeah,
1: week? I, I'm actually I'm gonna have so many resources this week. I actually I just want to say there is a oh I just forgot his name so hold on let me look it up. There is a professor who is at Wheaton now at Baylor and he has written a wonderful article about that called At First Things called Harry Potter's Magic, and I think this is why it's important. Alan Jacobs. And let me let me just say this. I talked to Andrew Rapport specifically about this. And and I'm going to read a quick quote and then I'll let you kind of talk more about it, Ashley. I'm going to read a a quick quote from Jaron Bars, which I highly again recommend his his book Echoing Eden, but Andrew said he read all of the things that Christian said against Harry Potter and how it promotes the occult, this and that. And what he said to me is, I wondered if they'd even read the books. And I think this is really important. I think there's a lot of assumptions about what the what the magic in Harry Potter is. And so I'm just gonna read this one thing. So he talks about this exact thing, the, and he says, first, the strong, strongest criticism has be, has come because the books bring readers into an imaginary world of magic and wizards. And therefore, many Christians say that it's abundantly clear that the books offend against the biblical condemnation of witchcraft wizardry. These critics insist that because Satan is behind all witchcraft and wizardry, Rowling's books most certainly teach occult practice to their young readers. Second, okay. Actually, I'm gonna actually. So he taught. He talks about that, and what has been said above and in, in response to the criticism of fantasy applies here also because we are actually dealing with the same issue. None of these books encourages a cult practice. The magic is simply a part of the imaginative worlds that Lewis, Tolkien, and Rowling have created. In such an imaginary world, people can become invisible. Animals talk. Mythical creatures like unicorns and centers exist, and rings and spells work wonders. In all of these books, the magic serves to help us see the battle between good and evil more clearly. Magic is simply a device to unveil the world of virtue and vice to us. He actually goes on to say that she herself was very surprised about these critics because she, about these criticisms because she it was not her intention at all to influence children for the occult at all or you know want them to be with you know witches and wizards Mm -hmm. so that's what I would I would say. I think there's and I I go back to what each one of my friends said when they finally read it. It wasn't what I thought. I had a picture of what I thought it was but that's not what it was Mm
2: -hmm. so that's what I would say to that but as kind of an expert on the books Ashley. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I'm an expert. Um, I do think it's interesting, too, that the the spells used in the book don't actually reflect anything anyone actually does. Um, in actual people that are actually attempting to practice witchcraft, she uses, like, Latin phrases. Um, I think she kind of uses play on words and stuff like that. None of, none of it is actually anything that the occult actually uses. Um, so it's so not Wiccan. It's not...
1: No. Part of the Church of Satan. It's not from no. the witches' brew cookbook no. or
2: anything. I think. I think if you ask someone of the Church of Satan, they would laugh at that. Um, that, because it's it's seriously like Latin. Like if if anyone learned Latin growing up, that's what she uses for for the little the little phrases and the little you know spells in the book and. You know, like I said, I grew up in a world where there's no issue reading it, so I'm still trying to understand uh, the other side. Um, but I guess I don't understand why someone would be comfortable reading C.S. Lewis um, and his his seven. Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia. Um, or Lord of the Rings,
1: Lord which of the I Rings, think is.
2: Which has uh, magic in which Lord of the Rings has a wizard in it. So. I don't know. It kind of feels to me like people are picking and choosing things that they like and saying, well, like I even saw someone say, well, the magic is different in Narnia and in Lord of the but Rings. But was that from like, someone who read
1: it? Because every person who said that to me actually hasn't read the books. They've read articles yeah. that against the books.
2: Right. So I'm like, it's, it's really not any different in, in, in Lord of the Rings. I've seen all the movies. I haven't read any Lord of the Rings books because they're, they're just way too long. Maybe I will someday. <laughs> they're long, um, and I heard he just uses like, a ton of detail like it's just uh, you know kind of exhausting, yeah actually
1: but... um and um, that bars actually compares no somebody else that i read compares tolkien to the lord of the rings to harry potter because he says that it's very similar in the amount of detail that's used oh
2: okay um but yeah it's you know it's very similar like gandalf casts spells in, in lord of the rings and I don't really know too many Christians that are not okay with watching Lord of the Rings. Um, And there's, I think there's biblical themes in Lord of the Rings too. um, And obviously in Chronicles of Narnia. And yet they're using some backdrop of magic um, as part of a storytelling device. Um, And I've never heard anyone say that um, C.S. Lewis or um, Tolkien is promoting... Uh, occult practices. Um, I think that would that would be absurd for anyone to say. Um, and so I, I just don't see how you could say the same thing about Harry Potter if you've read the books. Um, and that's the thing. I think a lot of these accusations about it's promoting occult practices, I, I really have to wonder if, if you've read the books. Um, because yeah. I think when you read the books, well, first of all, it's so obvious that this is not real this is a fantasy story um, but um, the the spells are just it's so i mean it it's just like in lord of the rings it's so innoc- it's just a part of the story it kind of kind of lends to the the greater theme in the good versus evil narrative that she's kind of weaving but i i mean i've read them my whole life i've i've been on websites about it i've you know all this stuff and i've just never I've never heard of someone being influenced to practice occult practices by reading Harry Potter. And um, it's definitely not a manual. I've heard that too. It's a manual for occult practice. And I'm like, I just don't think you've read the book to really say that. So, and again, you know, if, if you haven't read the book and you don't plan on it and you still don't want your kids to read it, that's fine. I just don't think you... I, this is, this is the reason why I want to do this episode is, it is fine for, for you to think that and to feel, I don't, I just don't want to expose my kids to that. I don't know if they're mature enough or whatever. It's not okay for, for Christians to say, no Christians should read this. That's what's not okay. Cause that's legalism. Um, it's a gray area. It's, it's not clear. In scripture, so you can't you can't make blanket statements like that about things like a book, you know. Where
1: especially if you just, haven't read it. Especially and you're... if you
2: haven't read it and you don't really know what's in the book. Um, so that's that's really my problem. I I have no issue with. I know people that I respect and care about that are like, well, no, we're not going to let our kids read it. And I'm like, fine. Like that's. You know, that's, you are a parent and you get to make that decision. I'm just, I've been attacked in the past and more recently, I've seen people question people's salvation for saying it's okay to read these books. And that's where I get frustrated, you know, because that's, that's what legalism does. You're creating these rules that don't exist in scripture. And you're saying everybody has to abide by, by these rules. Oh, and I just think legalism is so ugly. Yeah, I just really, really hate it. So
1: well, and especially my my concern, and I enjoyed talking to Andrew about it yesterday, is that a lot of people against have read articles from those who are against. Okay. And as Andrew said, you know, I had to wonder if they'd even read the books because it's an unfair portrayal. In fact, Jerem Bars actually says, of some of the Christian critics, he says, as a fellow Christian, I have to say, I am profoundly ashamed of some of the attacks made on rolling by Christians, for some of them are no better than malicious gossips. And malicious gossip is itself a disciplinable sin, according to scripture. And so at least, I actually am going to confess right now that before I became educated about it that I I made assertions against Harry Potter that were false and they were actually made in great ignorance. And I understand the other thing I just want to say I know that we probably have some listeners right now who are maybe in shock and just thinking I can't believe these girls like Harry Potter don't they just know it's evil and I I understand that I mean really if this was 2001 and i was listening to a podcast of somebody that maybe i respected and they said this i might think the same thing and so i get it i get it but i wanted to say even a couple there was actually a few girls i talked to them privately from our group who said i was the biggest anti-harry potter person that existed you know one one you know a lot of people said that one lady in our group said she was an anti-harry potter Saw the first book at a used bookstore, grabbed, that, and well, you know, look and see what it's about, and realized it wasn't what she thought. Again, so anyway, sorry, I get off my soapbox about that. <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't promote the occult. We've talked about why fantasy, because some people have an issue with fantasy. Is there anything else you think would be helpful for those maybe that don't? Is there any other criticisms that you think would be helpful to respond to?
2: I think we already kind of responded to the fantasy objection about how about how we think it's actually helpful for kids to use their imagination and learn to know what's real, what's not real. Um, And I think the one thing I would just add is that's something I think if your your child is reading fantasy, any fantasy, not just Harry Potter, you can have good conversations with them about that and talk to them about, you know, what they enjoy and, you know, and talk about that, the difference between reality and fantasy. And the third, the third objection, I think this is a much smaller objection. Um, In the book, uh, Harry, Harry and his friends disobey their teachers. You know, sometimes they do things that they're not supposed to do. They get into trouble. Um, They go into rooms, they're not allowed to go in, that kind of thing. And so I'd actually never heard of this objection until I I read the article. But uh, I I can see that in the books. That definitely happens. Um, But um, I think what you find is there's always a consequence for them getting in trouble. Um, And I I don't think the books really portray like an anti-authority. Um, theme because there's like obvious reverence for the character Dumbledore and some of um, the, the professors and the parents in the stories. But even with the whole troublemaking thing, again, I, I think that's going to crop up in most kids' stories where kids do things they're not supposed to do. And then there's consequences. And it, I think even that is a good conversation to have with your kids I don't understand why they can't read stories of I don't know. I, I'm not a parent, so maybe I don't want to respond to that one. But I I don't think that's I don't think that's really an issue. What do you what do you think, Colleen?
1: Yeah, and the, the thing I wanted to mention, I, I agree Ashley, and I think with everything it's great to discuss these things with your children. You know, we've had conversations around our table. If a child's reading Harry Potter and and you say you know which book they're on and maybe know a part that they're near. I say, so what did you think when Harry such and such, or what did you think about this person? It, you know, what's really interesting is that you, what you learn is that your kids have a very good sense of right and wrong. And they think that wrong should, there should be consequences to wrong. And, and so I think it's good. You actually can find that. I mean, I think about even just really little kids books. I mean, Beatrix Potter, you know, you can find sometimes that the kids are not behaving the way that they're supposed to. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, so, so much that I I think that's an unfair criticism. And the the other thing I want to say is I've got so many great resources for this episode. And if you're interested, please read them because Alan Jacobs in his article actually talks in very great detail about that criticism and even give some examples and has some really good things to say. And I also have, not specifically on that, but I've got an article from Fred Butler. I've got an article, a wonderful article from Phil Johnson I'm going to put on there and and some other things. So, and a lot of of other people have responded to that exact thing and, and done a really good job by offering examples. I think with everything, I don't care what your children are reading, you should be talking to your children. What are you reading? Well, I haven't read that. Tell me about it. Oh, really? So what do you think about that? You know, because mm-hmm. there are some books I have not read every single book my my children have read, or maybe I haven't read it since I was a young child, um, but at least I know it's okay. I, you know, I've, I've read reviews or I'm aware it's a classic, classic you know, talk to your children eat dinner at the table with your children and talk to them about these things. We love to, my kids are seven. i I've got two kids who are not, you know, 19, 21. The other one's 14, 17. We still sit around the table and eat dinner and we talk. What are you reading now? Oh, really? I haven't read that. Tell me about it. Have you learned anything from that book? Have you learned anything today? You know, ask, I have two kids who will tell me everything I want to know and more (laughs) and I have two that I have Mm -hmm. to, you know, um, poke a little bit to get a little more information, but talk to your children about everything they're doing. So Mm -hmm. that's just my little mom two cents.
2: Um, And if I could add just one more thing. Um, I think I think what I really wanted to to get across in this episode was. kind of already mentioned this but binding other people's consciences to about um things that aren't clear in scripture um the example i like to use is like if you have a history of alcoholism in your family so you choose not to drink that's a really good decision but you cannot then say christians shouldn't drink um because that is a christian liberty obviously the bible um, is against drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin, but Christians are able to enjoy a glass of wine. That's that's not um, something that's forbidden in Scripture. And so I think it's the same for Harry Potter. I don't think it's as clear as people are saying it is. I think I think people just need to treat their personal convictions as their personal convictions. Saying making blanket statements about uh what christians are allowed to do and read and just enjoy is legalism and so i just if if you're a person listening and you're still just like i still will not you know read it i still will not let my kids read it that is absolutely fine But don't bind the conscience of Christians around you by telling them that the Bible forbids something that the Bible doesn't forbid.
1: And and if your argument is, well, there's magic in it, and the Bible says magic is bad, if you're going to make that argument, you're going to have to be extremely consistent. That means no Wizard of Oz, no Mary Poppins. No, Pinocchio. <laughs> you know, I mean, and and I know people say, well, that's different. But the thing is, is that there's st- you're they're still basing that argument based on there's magic in there. And make sure that you're not arguing from ignorance. I think that's the biggest thing I want to encourage you to do, is is don't argue from ignorance at least, and don't read just articles from the. I know the temptation. You know, someone put. I I know what happened when we put the post in the group. Um, everyone went and got there anti-Harry Potter articles, if they're anti-Harry Potter to quote from, and and if pro-Harry Potter was a little bit more um, based on experience, but don't, don't just read one side, because how do you know, I've actually read things online, reviews of stuff, and realized later that they were actually not a fair representation of that thing, and so I just, I just want to make sure that we're we're arguing not from ignorance. Cause I, mm-hmm. I, I was going to say that Andrew will kill me. If you really have any questions, call Andrew Rappaport. No, I'm just mm-hmm. kidding. He actually has some good things to say. If we get a lot of feedback um, on this and and a lot of opposition we may, you know, discuss it with a guest at some, at some point. But I wanted to talk just before we're done real quick about the importance of teaching your children to read. As Ashley said, a lot of kids are only reading what is absolutely necessary. And I'm going to link an article from Rachel Miller, our favorite Theology Gals blogger. She has she has put together Why Boys Don't Read, but the reason I'm linking it is because she has a wonderful list of books for your children, just wonderful classics. And so I want to highly recommend that. And, and as far as just a couple of ideas for moms out there, if you've got little kiddos, what I did is read to them from the time they were young. We read before nap time, we read before nighttime. we read in the afternoon. Um, I was a homeschool mom for many years, but before my kids were even homeschool age, as soon as they stopped their nap, every day after lunch was either nap, for the kids that were still napping, or quiet reading time um, for the ones that were no longer napping. And even when they were three and a half or four, they got a pile of books and a spot to sit in the house, You know in the family room and they could look at those books but it was an hour of quiet reading time we continued that into my kids teenage years and so there are things like that that you can do to encourage your children to read you know make sure they see your reading encourage them i i was thinking of i cannot remember which book it was but i was trying jonathan was starting to read chapter books and i wanted him to I let him choose a book and he's like, I don't want to read that one over there. That does not look good to me at all. And I said, that's okay. So one night I said, well, I'm just going to read it out loud. If we don't like it after like six chapters, the chapters were short, then, then we won't finish it, but let's just go ahead and try. So I read the first chapter and he said, well, I, that first night he said, I think you better read one more. And I said, okay. So I read another one. He's like, I think you better read one more. And I said, no, I better wait till tomorrow night. So he went upstairs to brush his teeth and whatnot, and he comes downstairs, grabs the book and says, I can't stand it anymore, and went upstairs and proceeded to read the whole entire book the next day. So, mm-hmm. you know, and you can even reading aloud, I think is a, is such a great encouragement. And there's a lot of studies that even show how, how beneficial that is for children. Yeah. So please, please do that. I, and just so you know, if you ever need ideas, message me, I'm a lover of children's literature. Mm -hmm. I have an insanely amount of children's books from board books all the way to, you know, teenage, teenage books. And I love, I love children's literature so much. And there's so many great books out there and there's always new ones coming out, but there's so many great classics out there. Just wonderful. If you need ideas for your four year old or your six year old or eight year old and you're not sure, message me and I'll, I'll give you some, maybe I'll put together some lists for age groups. I might do that. So so is there anything else, Ashley, just on Harry Potter or anything else we've talked about?
2: Well, I can just add, um, just to the whole teaching your kids how to read. If your kids see you reading, they're going to read too. And I think that's what my mom really instilled in us because she would take us to the library, make us get books. Um, and then at night, you know, I don't know if it was every night but when i was probably in about middle school my sister was in fourth or fifth grade we would each take a couch and then one of us would take a chair and my mom would read on one couch her book i would read my book and my sister read her book and we did that probably four nights a week for 30 to 45 minutes and then we all went to bed and so um i just kind of learned that that's just what you do you just read you know rather than you know watching tv until bedtime which I just really appreciate that my mom's influence in in that and just teaching me how to love reading. So just an encouragement to moms, um, just have your kids see you reading, you know, that it's helpful for them to know that it's, it's a normal thing. That's just what we do. We read. So.
1: Yeah, actually, I just had to tell a really funny story. My, gran- my grandpa and grandma would go, and my mom did the same thing, by the way, Ashley, is going to the library. But my grandpa and grandpa, grandma, after they retired, they lived with my parents, and they would go to the library every week and get a stack of books. And they just read constantly. I mean, it just amazed me how much they'd read. And I would bring books over to my grandpa. So I would I would bring over books to them. I'd take books off of my bookshelf, and I'd have some for grandma. Grandma liked to read you know, kind of women fiction and grandpa liked to read theology. So, and also, but grandpa also liked historical fiction like I do. So one day I brought over a stack of books and it was a couple of historical fiction books and then one for grandma that my sister-in-law gave me about some women's knitting club. I never read the book, but it was my grandma liked to knit. I thought she'd like it. So, brought them over. Next week I go over and I said, so how did you like those books, grandpa? And he said, so the one about the knitting club, I think that's supposed to be for women. <laughs> I was just laughing so hard. I'm like, that wasn't for you, Grandpa. <laughs> I read it anyways. And so it just made me laugh. He actually read the whole thing. And one time I accidentally sent some of my homeschool curriculum to their address because I had ordered off Amazon and I had sent them something. And so he thought it was a whole history curriculum he thought I sent it to him to review so he did he read the whole entire thing which was a lot and reviewed it for me so my grandpa was was the best and I I know he taught my mom to love reading and my mom taught me too so well I'm gonna go to a quick commercial we'll do a quick yeah about that
0: looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach look no further at tractplanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at tractplanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's tractplanet.com, coupon code BTWN.
1: This week's Yeah About That, I'm not going to do a quote. I'm going to actually explain a situation and... You, a lot of Christians probably already heard about the situation, but I, but I really honestly wanted to look at this person and say, yeah, about that. So a certain church in a certain state had a conservative commentator come to their Baptist church when this conservative commentator is a Catholic and speak on Sunday morning. And I went, looked at that and said, yeah, about that.
2: Mm. Yep. I don't think your Christianity can get any more American than than that.
1: Yes, so not a good idea. Not not part of the regulative principle of worship for your no. corporate worship service. Having, Having a Catholic, Catholic speak no. about politics from the pulpit
2: during worship. No, I don't even think we need to explain that. I was just going to say that. Yeah, I don't even think we need to comment on it.
1: Yeah, if you're a listener to the show, I I could I will bet money you know why this is not a good idea yeah. so I just stuff like that I just shake my head and I, I think it does not make Christians look good either um, to do that sort of thing to to bring and I would say politics to the you know into the, our Sunday morning worship in any way no you don't bring a Fox News commentator to the pulpit on Sunday mornings No, even if you love him on politics which is okay to do mm-hmm. So uh, just a few last-minute things. If you have topics you would like us to talk about, send them to us at theologygals at gmail.com. And then also, or you can message us on social media and follow us on social media. If you go to the website at BibleThumpingWingNut.com, you can click on Theology Gals somewhere. There's a couple of places, and you can find all of our podcasts and blogs. If you would like to support us, if you go to the website and any of our episodes, You'll see a link to our Patreon account or you can go to Patreon and and search Theology Gals if you just want to support us a few dollars a month. And then if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, just a comment or a question for our next question and answer episode, leave us a voicemail at 951-407-0234. And I think that's everything. Ashley, did I neglect anything?
2: I just wanted to say that for the recording of this entire episode, my cat Minerva McGonagall was sitting right next to me the whole time. So I she's just, very interested in this
1: topic for some reason. Yes. I don't know
2: why she's been sitting next to me the whole time asleep.
1: Yeah. I've seen her and not to mention the official mascot of the Theological podcast. Yes. Cause she joins us half of the episodes. I don't think I heard her though. So I'm glad you let oh, everyone know that
2: she she's here.
1: Mm-hmm. And and if the Dodgers don't win, do not give Ashley a hard time. <laughs>
2: nope, don't. I'm like close to deleting my
1: Facebook right now. <laughs> but go Dodgers. We want the the girls want Dodgers to win this one. Yep, I got. Yep. my family got it last year with the Cubs, so it's Ashley's turn. Yeah, so. yeah. All right. Turn. Well, thank, thank you everyone for joining us, and we will see you next week.